Father, this morning I want to give you honour and I want to give you praise. Today, Almighty God, I lift before you your son Michael, Father, as he, per- as he prepares, O oh God, to open his mouth, Almighty God, and deliver from you, O oh Lord, what has been placed on his lips. Heavenly Father, I pray, O oh God, that our hearts, O oh Lord, will be open and receptive, O oh God, to your word. Heavenly Father, today, O oh Heavenly Father, I thank you, Almighty God, for Michael's life. I thank you for his obedience, Father, and I thank you, O oh Lord, for what you're about to do, what you're about to deliver to your people through him, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is that on now? Hang on. Yeah. I've turned it off. Oh. Yeah. We're there, are we? Right, because she did say open your mouth, didn't she? <laughs> Some sound better come out of it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you're very blessed today because it's not going to be a greatly long sermon, which is a blessing for this church. <laughs> um, okay. I do know that this is what God wants me to say. And there we are. Um, right. Usual alert posture, you know, just to lean, you know. And this will contain a little bit of testimony, not too much, and not really deep, but it's there, and um, so let's press on, I suppose. I'm talking first a a little bit about the way I feel about things, not much, but, you know, being asked to talk before you is always something of a challenge for me. Um, Not that I'm particularly nervous or afraid, but that I really have to hear, hopefully, from God. But I must say I don't particularly like the position I find myself in, because I really feel, who am I to speak to you? Who am I? I have to listen deeply and consistently, a questioning and a questing for his voice, for some inspiration and direction, and God is often very quiet until close to the deadline, and even then, I'm not sure. (laughs) One thing it does, though, is that it draws me, in my inadequacy, to his table and to a greater trust in him. And I become even more aware of my dependency on him and happy and calmer in that dependency. And it's as it should be. My inadequacy actually removes from me the burden and worry of having to perform before men perform of myself. I merely need to carry whatever God chooses to give 
and the God who can even give voice and wisdom to a donkey, as with Balaam's ass, can do the same for me or for any one of us. This is our God, limitless in power and ability, and whom we serve and to whose household we belong. And this is our position before him. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul writes, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. You belong to God. Belong means to be the property of. Balaam's ass belonged to Balaam. We, seated here, actually belong to God. We are His. Romans 14.8 If we live, it's profound, isn't it? If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, We belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. We are His and we are not our own. 1 Peter 1.18 For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the costly blood of Christ who was like a lamb without defect or flaw is the good news translation. We have been paid for. Now Isaiah 1.3 comments it's just a little bit of his uh, of the verse. The ox knows its owner. The donkey its master's feeding trough. Dependent creatures, creatures, they know to whom they belong. They know whose they are and who feeds them. So a question, do we really and truly know this about ourselves? Do we know and accept that we are servants in the household of the master, his to do with as he pleases. At a little over 71 years of age, I've come to know to whom I belong. As John Henry Newman, he was a famous cardinal in the Catholic Church and He wrote this, uh, this part of something he wrote. As he wrote, I was not ever thus, nor prayed that thou shouldst lead me on. I love to choose and see my path, but now lead thou me on. 
I love the garish day, and spite of fears, pride ruled my will. Remember not past years. Well, I can say for myself, years ago, pride ruled my will. Even as a person who professed Christ, I wanted to serve him, and rightly so, but ignorantly, in my own strength and power, I actually only thought I knew him. I was fearful within, but outside, bold as a lion, and I thought I, what, I was something. It's many years ago, but as a would-be Catholic priest, although not a Jesuit, I hope people know what a Jesuit is, some might not. No. Okay. It's a member of the elite intellectual uh, religious order in the Catholic Church. I wasn't a Jesuit. I spent two years in a Jesuit college. The intellectual cream, I'm saying it here, of the church, and I excelled, showed great promise, and I had much praise. And everybody, including myself, thought I was wonderful. <laughs> you know, wow, it was a good day. <laughs> but I chose, and I thought I saw my path, and that was the path I was on. And the garish days of success and accolade stole my heart. And I thought I could do great things for God. But he, he who knew that I was a complete fool and ignorant, you know, of him and his ways and all things that I needed to really know, he brought it all crashing down. And in his great mercy and his great love and his beautiful providence, he cast me into the wilderness where I might learn of him his ways. Praise him. And from being a lion, I became a worm. And then in my worm form, I started to become a sheep. And in my sheep form, I started to become a little bit of a shepherd, a dependent shepherd on the Lord. Now, Moses is a great figure in the Bible. We all know of his life and the Exodus and his face shining with the reflected glory of God. It's something we all know. In Numbers 12.3 it is attested of him and Moses was a very humble man. More so than any man on the face of the earth. That's something. But how did he get to this? Because it wasn't his natural character. He was born in dire circumstances, under an oppressive and murderous regime. 
and he was providentially protected from death by the actions of his mother and his adoption by Pharaoh's daughter. It was even arranged for his own mother to nurse him. He was moved by the providence of God from the imminent threat of death to a place of security and safety under the protection of the very regime that wished to destroy him and to a place of position and power within the very heart of that regime, a prince of Egypt. Stephen in Acts 7, 21-22 says, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and in his actions. A lion indeed, but a lion also with a mission. Verse 25 of the same chapter 7 says, And he assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. And despite being eloquent and powerful in action and position, and although rightly seeing that he was to deliver them, nor did he understand either. In Exodus 2, 11 and 12, years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. This is the way he chose to declare to the Hebrews that he was the one to deliver them by murdering an Egyptian. He was bold and able and willing. He hid the body in the sand as a sign to them, I'm with you and I'm for you. As a prince of Egypt, he had the power of life and death. But he did not want this witness because of his motive. The Egyptians had already declared their fear of the Hebrews, Exodus 1.9. Pharaoh said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Moses, by killing the Egyptian, would be thinking revolution, the ways of man, deliverance by the sword. 
and it all turns sour. Within a very short time, Moses, Prince of Egypt, would-be deliverer, becomes a fugitive, and then becomes a shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness of Midian. He was given a wife, given, and shepherded his father's father-in-law's flock, not his own. He had failed in his own strength and plans, and had become a worm on the way to becoming a sheep and then a shepherd. Attracted by a bush that wasn't burning, but it actually appeared to be, at the age now of 80 years, Moses encounters the living God to be sent to do the very thing he had aspired to do in his own strength and in the way of man but now in the strength of and in the way of and the power of God He had observed their misery, that's Moses, and sought to rescue them. And now God says, I, I have observed their misery. And I have come down to rescue them. And I am sending you. The worm who's been brought very low really doesn't have any stomach for this. Not at all. And he's going to try and dissuade even God. What me? Moses objects. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Weak, humbled. He doesn't have confidence and he certainly has no eagerness. God's reply, I will certainly be with you. I'm only just taking little extracts. Moses objects, if I go, whose name shall I send? He's quite unwilling. Having had that answered, Moses objects, what if they won't believe me? God gives the signs of the staff that turned into a snake and the leprous hand, the hand that became leprous and then ceased to be. God gives him a lot of instruction and much revelation and tells him I'll be with you, etc. And Moses objects again and he says, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. Stephen's testimony in Acts was that Moses was powerful in speech and action. Mm -hmm. 
God's reply, now go. It's a command. I will help you. Speak. I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. And then Moses once more replies, begging, please, Lord, Lord, please, send someone else. And the anger of God fled. And Moses, who had lost all aspiration to rescue the people of Israel, and much preferred to tend sheep and live out his days quietly, went as a sheep before his master to do his bidding, and then to become a shepherd. Moses, of course, was a major player in the plan of God. And the whole account is magnificent and resplendent with the power of God, wielding the tool of a weak and humbled man. 2 Corinthians 12.9 But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. He's not looking for our gifts and our talents and our abilities, but for our weakness, that we might display his magnificent power and glory. Big players like us are just as important in the plans of God as was Moses. And we need to be weak in order for him, for him to be strong in us, for him to do the things that he wants to do, not for us to do the things that we want to do in our own way. We're just as important as, I don't know, the big names in the plan of God. But like everyone else, we need to be weak that he may be strong. So let us then humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And just as a, to end with it, just a thought, if there are people here who feel weak and inadequate in the small role that God has called them to play, and he's called everyone here to something, it doesn't have to be great, you know, it might just be a small thing, but if there are people here who are weak and inadequate, that God has called them and they feel unable, well rejoice. Be glad, be exceedingly joyful, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel.